This is The Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer brand and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. Tony Spring is the CEO of Bloomingdale's, and he is one of the most well-rounded executives you'll ever find in retail. He's a merchant. He used to run the home department for many years, and then he was head of marketing, head of direct-to-consumer. He ran the restaurants, uh, head of stores. He was the COO and then president. So he has this very cross-functional background, which I think is incredibly important today, as we've heard on this podcast before. And... He is really here to talk to us about the changes at Bloomingdale's, the platform, the marketplace, digital omni-channel, and the competitive landscape. So it's a fascinating conversation, and I'm looking forward to it. Let's get started. Tony Spring, thank you so much for joining me on the safari. My pleasure. Good to be here. So um, we'll, we'll dive right in because I think I could probably speak to you for four hours on this stuff, and I don't think we have that long. So. The, one of the themes so far on the safari has been the power of cross-functional thinking within any business, uh, let alone a department store business. I noticed, and I've always known, I guess, that you've had quite a, uh, a varied background within your, uh, what is it, uh, 32 years at Bloomingdale's. How do you feel that that background has contributed to where you are now? I think it always gave me an appreciation for the importance of learning. And that uh, every function in the company has a great deal of uh, value and provides uh, their part in developing and delivering that powerful recipe that is Bloomingdale's. So I came to appreciate when I was in stores, the value of stores and the connection with people and the importance of the people that work for the Bloomingdale's brand and organization, in some cases for decades. When I was in merchandise, I fell in love with product and the chance to discover new things and to figure out how to convey that to the stores organization or prior to the Turns website. out pro- product is quite important. Product is very important. <laughs> and then in marketing, I, I fell in love with communication and the opportunity to better understand not just what the customer said, but what she would do and how we could play with various levers to try to deliver a better experience for the consumer. So, I mean, wouldn't you say it's relatively rare to have someone who's been both in a merchant, in marketing, and in operations, let alone running restaurants? And it's, it's pretty... Have you, I mean, I don't know, have you bumped across many CEOs who've done all those things? I, probably not as common. I will tell you now, sitting in the seat, I really encourage uh, the trainees and uh, interns when they come to the organization that a diversity of background, taking lattice moves, um, enhancing your uh, toolbox of uh, experiences and skills is really important no matter what job you ultimately fall in love with and do for a longer portion of your life. No, well, that's good advice. So... Let's talk a little bit about the, the, the department store business, uh, maybe a little bit about the history of it through your eyes. I mean, obviously, 
we are sitting here in front of um, Marvin Traub's uh, portrait here in my office. But um, you know, he talked always about these sort of the, these beacons within city centres, and then the uh, d- the department stores moved out to the suburbs when the malls um, got built. Uh, now there's sort of a, a reverse exodus back into the cities. It would seem where people of many ages just want to be in you know, what some term the super zips, the super zip codes. And therefore, cities uh, all over the world, not just in the United States, are still attracting many, many people to live and, and work. How do you see the department store history? Because it's a, a, a wonderful topic. Again, one could talk about that for hours. But how do you see where we are today, the history of Bloomingdale's uh, through your eyes? Well, it's a broad question. Um, let me go back to the initial uh, premise, because certainly we've seen the movement of the population depending on family size, uh, housing prices, uh, the general state of the economy. And I actually think, although there's been this uh, significant growth in urban environments, you're starting to see the um, strengthening of the suburbs around these urban environments, again, both as a result of the price of living, as a result of uh, sending your children to school. And so as a brand that has a fairly narrow portfolio of locations, we're kind of excited about the opportunity mm-hmm. to have these important suburban destinations be rejuvenated. Yeah. And that's uh, obviously important running more than just a one, two, five store uh, business model. So I was, re- I was reviewing earlier this morning a 1993 interview of Charlie Rose of Marvin Traub uh, at the occasion of the launch of his book, Like No Other Store. And in that book, Charlie went, went after him. Uh, he went after Marvin, 1993, about uh, the state of the department store industry and uh, retailing in general, maybe. But it was, I think, he was going after uh, the relevance of the department store industry then. And it's the same refrain today in a different form. Uh, but obviously, uh, your business and many other of your competitors are significantly larger businesses. Yes, there's been consolidation, but nonetheless, uh, significantly larger businesses and omni-channel businesses, and, and they've used technology. Marwan was calling it electronic retailing in that interview. How do you how do you feel about these sort of continued refrains around the department store uh, business, and uh, and and how do you sort of try and ignore it? I, again, you you need to focus on what you can control. The general commentary about the department store, I always try to blur the word department store into marketplace yeah. because somehow that's a popular term where department store isn't as popular term. To your point, Marty, our business today is uh, much larger than it was back in that interview with Charlie Rose uh, in 1993. I think that the opportunities for Bloomingdale's have never been uh, greater. I think the challenge maybe that uh, Charlie was getting at with Marvin at the time was a level of uh, stagnation or a level of uh, staidness. And so the excitement that is so important, newness, creativity, imagination, a willingness to try. Mm-hmm. If you get to the point where, and, and Blumino's had several decades of incredible success, but there came a point where we may have been resting on our laurels too yes. much. And I don't care whether that's a department store or now you see in the specialty space, there are a number of big, successful, powerful brands that have seen consecutive uh, quarters or years of underperformance because maybe they stopped um, evolving. And that is a danger of success. And I think we remind ourselves every day we are inspired by our incredible heritage and culture. We are driven by what we can do for the future. Mm-hmm. 
And and so you know there, there were words used back then, which I think still apply to many of the things that you do. Uh, the word romance and theater and drama. Talk about how what what do those words mean in retailing in any business? How how could how can we sit here and talk about romance as it pertains to retailing? Again, we're uh, selling uh, pans and dresses and uh, sweaters, and we have to add a level of uh, energy and excitement and enthusiasm and romance behind product in order to move the customer to a point where uh, the consideration set rises. And I think those terms resonate both because of the incredible influence of leaders like Marvin Traub on a brand like Bloomingdale's, but on the industry at large at making sure that uh, we are putting enough behind all of the things that contribute to people being excited about our category. Let's face it, today we're competing against whatever you call an experience and travel and food and uh, fitness and other places for people's uh, discretionary income. And yet when they fall in love with something, whether it be in a physical space or a digital space, we have the opportunity to convert. We have the opportunity then to build a relationship. We have the ultimate then the opportunity to build um, a business with that client. So you've, you've often done alliances with Hollywood and launching movies and tying product in. Can you give maybe one example of, of something recent or maybe, maybe something coming up? So one example would be the uh, small partnership we did with Big Little Lies, the popular uh, HBO uh, series that uh, gave us the opportunity to do a, a premiere of a TV show in our uh, Century City uh, store for those uh, clients. Uh, we did a fun play on the little brown bag making it into Big Little Lies. And it was interesting, just the um, engagement of the consumer giving us credit for being involved in pop culture and being aware of a popular uh, TV series. But that is true of uh, the celebration of The Grinch uh, last year or the partnership with Moulin Rouge, as it now goes back to Broadway, um, when that movie came out at the time, to uh, Rent on Broadway, to... The Greatest uh, Showman. The Greatest Showman, okay. Chicago... Uh, I think over the years, we have tried to pay uh, close attention to the uh, influence of uh, so many parts of uh, culture on the retail business. And today, obviously, that's expanded beyond just what I would say was uh, movies and uh, uh, television or Broadway to include uh, Google uh, and our partnership for the holidays this year, creating the search bar in, uh, in the carousel to other influencers and uh, sports celebrities and chefs. So it's not limited to one part of the uh, cultural vernacular, but it is obviously important people are interested in. What do the people that I watch or the people that I know uh, to some degree through their personalities or their character, what are they interested? What are they motivated by? What do they like? And, and how can I play a part in that? And how can they maybe I incorporate some of the things that I agree with into my life? So when you think about everything that you do and are able to do as a, as a marketplace, you know, the, the, the Grand Bazaar in, in Istanbul, I, I, every time I go there, I'm reminded that there's, there's been sort of department stores or malls for thousands of years. But you have the ability based on your scale, based on the multi-brand nature of what you do to do marketing and events and 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 use technology in a sort of distributed way. All those brands who are within your walls are benefiting from the infrastructure that you're able to put place in place for um, for for their benefit. So 
in the competitive landscape, yes, there are department stores. There are obviously two new department stores have opened in New York City. Um, but you know, brands also have their own retail stores today. Then there are these, you know, other pure play e-commerce businesses and marketplaces. Um, how how do you see yourself as you know one of the original marketplaces? Let's face it, at least in this country or in this city. How do you see yourself evolving the, your marketplace and your platform? I sometimes refer to it as platform businesses because you can do so many things off of the one stage. H- how do you see? leveraging what you have, that infrastructure, for the brands, for your customers, and for your business? Well, I think at the heart of uh, your question is one of the greatest uh, PowerPoints of the marketplace or the department store uh, formula, which is the ability to be flexible and the ability to kind of go in and out of businesses and categories based on the demand of the consumer. And one of the limiters, obviously, of a specialty business is you can be best at what you are doing, but you don't necessarily have the license or privilege without a lot of work and expansion to go into other categories. So we feel fortunate that we have a, obviously, a men's, a women's, a kid's, a home and a gifting business that give us great latitude to embrace digitally native brands, to have both an owned and a concession-based business, to have uh, pop-ups, to have uh, permanent boutiques from some of the most important uh, luxury brands and to have wonderful classification presentations where the consumer really would just like to see easy variety. We'll be right back. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. and. In our travels, as we help think, manage, and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry, and it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. Do do you think that the influencer... um, I guess the term, and we've, we've spoken about this on, on this podcast before, but the influencer uh, craze or, or happening maybe uh, that's going on, um, does that p- pose an opportunity for you to partner with them just as if you were partnering with any talent in, in the past? Uh, is, it, is it different? Are they going direct to consumer? Are they partnering with department stores? Do they get department stores? How, how is that influencer thing going? I think it's an evolution. I think, you know, initially people um, perceive they have the opportunity to do it all themselves. I think we've talked in the past about uh, people believing because they have their own website, because they uh, join a marketplace, because they may pick one retail partner, that they have covered all of their bases. And let's face it, we carry multiple cards. We belong to a couple of loyalty programs. We uh, have uh, multiple friends. We belong to a couple of associations. People are not so myopically limited by just one association. And I think a part of our responsibility as Bloomingdale's is to make sure that we tell our story, that we are talking to a five generations of uh, shoppers. You, know, you can't do that in many other uh, singular uh, partners that you pick. Uh, you're talking to a consumer base that is um, modern, of the moment, interested in what's relevant and what's new and what's exciting. Um, you've got a wonderful home business that is driven by a registry 
that accounts for a disproportionate amount of our volume. It is people starting their lives together who will buy clothing, who will buy other things for their home, who will have children one day. And where does that fit into when you think about the life stage of business as opposed to solely focusing on either one segment or one period of time, thinking really about the lifeline of your, of your business? And I'm certainly excited by the fact that we have uh, more than a third of our customers are between the age of 18 and 34. So we have a nice, ripe, uh, young uh, customer base who is interested in our uh, category, in our format, in our formula. And it's really up to Bloomingdale's to make sure that we are curating our content by location as well as digitally to make sure that we're giving that customer a reason to come back again. So speaking about the young customer you referenced a few minutes ago, the digital native brands, uh, one of the things that we've been noticing, which we've find sort of amusing at times is uh, the notion that uh, rent is the new CAC, as they say. You'd you think Silicon Valley in, invented rent recently. And so th- therefore, because they bumped up a ce- on a ceiling online, they said, oh, well, you know, we should open our own retail stores. And now the refrain is, you know, we need, we need more eyeballs. Let's, let's work with the department stores. So they've, they've all sort of come full circle, these guys, to realizing that they're just brands. And yes, they started online. But they have to have a healthy dose of partnership uh, with many different kinds of people, whether it be malls, whether it be department stores, um, and yes, uh, with the marketplaces around the world. But h- how do you, uh, and maybe if, if there's a way, I know I'm not going into too many details on metrics, but how can you sort of quantify the amount of eyeballs, maybe through traffic or any anything that uh, can explain quite how much of an engine room for a customer acquisition or, or eyeball acquisition, the media value of department stores? It's a great question. I, I think you hit on a very important word, which is a uh, relationship. And uh, it starts with the interest in trying to build a business um, that is uh, larger because of my associations, as opposed to being overly consumed with the fact that there is some cannibalization of a small portion of my business because of the partners I choose. I think that as an industry, we have to do a better job at figuring out how, you know, the one plus one equals three, and certainly not the I gain and you lose, and that's how this relationship really works. So I think we as an industry need to continue to work towards that path where we are being more collaborative, we are sharing data, we are really thinking about how we get the consumer to be um, excited about uh, their brand and business, not just in their own space, but also within the space of the department store. Uh, Those are the things that I think become uh, a requirement for how we make the case as to why being a part of the Bloomingdale's model, let alone any other multi-brand environment, is right. Yes, I can go through the metrics with you and tell you, you have people that are highly dedicated to our loyalty program. They uh, make a decision uh, whether we carry the product, they'll buy it from us first uh, based on our loyalty uh, penetration. Um, we have this multi-generational consumer. We have this balance of both the uh, domestic international travel as well as uh, local customers. If you want the Upper East, Side, Upper East Side customer, if you want a domestic tourist, if you want someone who comes from over 150 uh, countries, you, you want 59th Street as a part of your matrix. You, you have this uh, high, powerful traffic pattern that happens to Bloomingdale's.com every day whether or not we are doing something unique that day, just as a place of discovery. We are a part of the search philosophy that people go through to see not just what um, we have, but also what's popular, what's trending, and how do they capitalize on being associated with uh, other 
brands who make the decision to be a part of our matrix. One uh, luxury CEO said to me one time, I want to be on your shoe floor because if I just look at my business on my site, I have a very narrow view of my fashion statement, of my price elasticity, of how well I compare to a brand uh, that may be, or to a customer who may have more options. And that was an interesting point that, you know, that multi-brand environment strengthens your competitive chops as well. Yeah. I think what's interesting about you guys, I mean, everyone today is talking about data. Um, you guys, the, the multi-brand platforms um, have had the data for decades. Uh, everyone else is now catching up because they have direct consumer businesses. So everyone feels like, you know, they've just discovered data because they never knew anything about their customers. Um, and presumably having that um, gives you a competitive edge because you've been analyzing data for decades? I think that uh, everyone has data. The key is in each of our businesses to have enough uh, frequency, enough loyalty for the data to be um, not only revealing, but in some cases predictive. So if I'm a specialty retailer, or I'm a mono brand, or I'm digitally native, and I'm selling one category, the likelihood that I'm going to have enough frequency to learn about other categories, to learn about seasonality, to learn about is much, much harder. We see that in our own mm. business on some of the luxury brands. We don't have the frequency. But all of a sudden, when you partner that with what they buy on basics, what they buy when they travel, what they buy both online and in-store, you begin to kind of put together a puzzle that tells the short story, then gives you, I think, a better indicator in terms of how you should invest yeah. uh, to try to build the business. Yeah, well, my partner, Jeff Lurie, often says that um, uh, many people, many companies that we deal with have a huge amount of data and, and no information. <laughs> so, so moving away from uh, digital natives, et cetera, um, to uh, something that I'm quite passionate about is sort of the temple of retail and, and, and the actual physical plant, as it were, and how one creates the mood and the environment and the place, uh, and therefore the role of architecture uh, in, in creating the mood and, and the excitement. Um, and obviously, the word excitement, I'm, I'm just I was thinking about a second ago, listening to you speak, I mean, you get very jazzed about uh, all the different elements of your business because you've been inside all the different elements of your business, presumably. Talk about the mega renovation you've just completed and, and what went into you know, redoing eff effectively a whole huge city block over time while keeping the lights on and the doors open. A lot of uh, great work by a lot of talented people. And so, you know, that's, uh, by the way, in the formula is uh, having the modesty, the um, self-reflection to know what you're good at and to also know where you need uh, a terrific, talented team to help you to deliver the uh, standard and formula of Bloomingdale's. And that's been uh, uh, a leadership model that uh, dates back uh, prior to Marvin and to Mike and to many others who've led this wonderful brand. I think that in thinking about the flagship, one thing that we really wanted to do was to not redecorate, but reimagine. And I think it was a good uh, lesson learned over previous experiences that um, simply making things look better or simply updating things, that's a expectation of the business. You know, you need to paint, you need to carpet, you need to light. Those are not going to be what changes people's uh, consumption patterns. What we needed to do was really reimagine the store. So first thing was renovating that home store for the first time in almost 35 years, uh, moving it to six, seven, and eight, and creating a very compelling, particularly as the city has evolved. And we now really have a credible statement as the destination for home furnishings in New York City for that um, consumer who's looking for better quality goods. 
And that includes a demonstration kitchen on the house first floor. It includes a wonderful registry and a good balance of uh, uh, giftables on a tabletop floor. It includes uh, over 70 beds on a uh, domestics floor, which is uh, probably uh, up there with the best presentations of uh, textiles in the world. Um, so those floors were very important because home is a point of distinction versus our big uh, department store competitive set. You go down to the concept of creating a destination for shoes. Always had shoes on two different floors. We thought it was vitally important to not only expand the space 40% bigger, but add brands. It's a huge, huge floor. Add brands uh, and create character to the designer um, segment of the business, which we're very proud of not only the way it looks, but obviously the way it's performed. And one of the best uh, and most rewarding parts is now to have brands come back and say, I want to be a part of it. I made a mistake. You didn't talk to me. And so we'll expand the shoe floor a little bit further uh, next year and add additional brands uh, to the floor. Um, renovating the entire uh, ready-to-wear complex. So creating a better point of view for contemporary and for uh, updated modern and for designer. And It all feels much more open. Uh, more open, but distinctively Bloomingdale. So I think you have the wonderful black and white uh, iconography. You still have the celebration of uh, world-class brands with uh, shop and shops, but you have more open space, more natural uh, lighting. You have uh, clearer sight lines and you have the addition of uh, more food offerings in the building, which uh, again was an important ingredient in making sure that um, we had activity on every floor. So you have the shoe, shoe cobbler on the shoe floor, as well as beauty pop-ups. You have the uh, uh, nail nail in a hair salon um, on the ready-to-wear floor. You have a new Studio 59 a bar and bites on the second floor. You have a Dakayama, a new uh, Asian fusion restaurant opening on 59th Street in December. So we believe it's very important that uh, every uh, transformation that we do within the store incorporate new brands, new services, a potential food and beverage offering, and most importantly, a better way for the consumer to shop on that floor. So, so you, you talked, you used the word reimagine. Um, Andy Warhol referred to Bloomingdale's as the museum of the people. Um, you spoke a little bit earlier about people having a lot of things they could do in this city. Uh, and do you feel that the physical plant that you have has gives you the ability not only to throw events but also to create services for people to? Uh, you, you mentioned you know the nail salon, etc. But um, are there other ways that you guys have thought about or played with, for example, co-working? I mean, is, is, have you ever thought about those kinds of initiatives um, to, to increase dwell time, children's entertainment? Or how does that play into, the, I guess, the, the constant um, flow or analysis around you know, gross margin dollar per square foot uh, and, and traffic generation? I mean, it's a great question. I think we're, we're more open than ever before to uh, what are those things that uh, complete the overall shopping experience at, at Bloomingdale's. And while uh, something may generate more dollars per square foot, to your challenge, what actually increases the dwell time, what I actually get at better lifetime value or more frequency from a consumer. Up to this point, we've treated it more in our eventing. So we do yoga events during the year, get great turnout, have people come in before the store opens, raise money potentially for um, an important cause. But then uh, underscore Bloomingdale's is a place that is beyond just uh, shopping. Um, we've obviously used the store for uh, fashion shows, for opportunities for groups to hold uh, their uh, events uh, inside our store. We have 
this week uh, we're a part of the uh, Women's uh, New York uh, Comedy Festival, and we'll be having uh, comedians uh, in the store on Thursday night and Friday uh, free to Bloomingdale's customers to be a part of the fabric of New York. Now, would you expect to go to Bloomingdale's and go to a series of different comedy shows? But that's the opportunity to kind of reimagine what the store should be beyond just the excitement of what we do for opening our holiday windows or what we do for the big fashion months of March and September. So you, you have uh, this, this incredible infrastructure. You have all this, this activity. Uh, the, the swan glides gracefully over the lake, but underneath it's pedaling very hard. And it seems as though, listening to you, that there's just a huge amount in all these different areas. But you also have intellectual property. Um, you have this incredible name. Um, you have other brands that are, sit within uh, your, your, your walls, you know, Aqua and Flip. You know, Harrods in, in the UK just announced that they are uh, taking uh, their beauty hall, basically, and going to put it out into the world as H-Beauty, um, as a sort of standalone concept. Um, so I guess the question is, are you in the department store business, the marketplace business, and the retail business, the brand business? Would you would you ever incubate Aqua and take it around the world, or would you do anything um, you know with taking departments and making them in smaller locations around the country? I never say never. Um, again, I think the current uh, business uh, climate kind of requires a level of openness to provocative ideas and uh, deconstructing what may be uh, the core of what the department store model is all about. But I'm also mindful of why are, we, why are we entering the business and what can we do better than the competitive set that's already out there. I think in the case of a standalone beauty store, my concern would be that we would be able to bring enough uh, newness or distinction or differentiation to have a credible space, and as well as draw some of our customers out of our department store model. Um, we've looked in the past, uh, given the popularity of 40 carats uh, yogurt, yes. at doing uh, pop-ups, at doing things on college campuses or in museums, and still on the list of uh, interesting ideas to uh, to ponder, consider for the future. Uh, clearly, as you know, we've partnered with Altair and have done uh, Bloomingdale's in uh, two uh, places in the Mideast, Middle East um, to good success. And I think yep. the opportunity exists for some additional international expansion uh, over time. Um, we're opening a new store in Norwalk, Connecticut uh, next week. We're opening a new store in Valley Fair, California, in the middle of uh, Google, Facebook uh, territory uh, in March of next year, which I think is perfect timing and great opportunity for us to continue to grow this a healthy portfolio of uh, locations. So moving from, um, I guess, the physical uh, and the intellectual property to just innovation in general, um, I know some of my colleagues here were incredibly uh, interested in and, and happy to see uh, that you have recently launched Rental, which has been a hot button here. We've been very involved, I think, with uh, your partner uh, in Rental separately um, on our own uh, in our own business. But how do you see that? Is there any early learnings? I mean, why did you do it? Um, how's the customer resonating to it? Uh, whatever, uh, we find it fascinating. And obviously, it's, it's proliferating all over the world. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's only a month in, so uh, hard to read uh, um, a lot into the data. But I would tell you that we're um, pleased so far. Um, we have uh, uh, customers uh, signing up. We have a good retention rate of the customers that have signed up. We've rented uh, everything that we've put uh, on the site. Um, we've had some purchasing of things that uh, are on the site as well. We have uh, 
a very uh, good percentage of new consumers. We have a very high percentage of young consumers. So as you kind of uh, probe in terms of what was my rationale or reasoning, uh, first, it was to listen to the team. So this was a uh, group within the company that uh, felt very passionately and strongly about doing this. And they pitched it to me on a few different occasions over a course of a uh, few months. Uh, and then basically, you know, went to our parent company and said, we want to do this. And I think that's another wonderful part of the business model that we have at Bloomingdale's. It wasn't on our radar. It was something that some of the younger members of our organization felt passionately about. They put together a business case. We uh, found, obviously, a partner in Castle that we're, we're excited to work with. And will this give us the opportunity to uh, add another channel to our business? Will this give us the opportunity to expose younger consumers, non-purchasers, to brands maybe they weren't as comfortable with? Um, can we encourage fashion as a point of uh, distinguishing your personality, as a, a point of experimentation that you just maybe don't feel as comfortable with when the price tag is of X size? And uh, obviously, that is our hope, and uh, we'll see how this uh, journey plays out. We're uh, early. Uh, Reed is uh, we're excited. Yeah, I mean, it, it really feels in, in general like it's a whole new uh, channel of distribution, and it brings more people into the game, uh, allows them to, to dabble. I mean, I've heard it said, I think by the, probably you know, some of the other rental companies, that um, rental actually replaces fast fashion, not fashion. So that spend doesn't go to the Zaras and the H&Ms to get that fashion quotient that they might need just to give a pop, but they can actually get it, get it quite affordably through renting it. And then they discover other products and the brands and, and presumably um, the lifetime value uh, speaks for itself. I think that's certainly our belief going into the, uh, into the business model is that this is going to crack open um, an important entry point to uh, non-purchasers, um, additional younger consumers, and people that are thinking about fashion in a different way. Let's face it, if you or I lived in a very uh, small apartment in New York City with no closet space and didn't want to dedicate a portion of our weekly income to dry cleaning and had uh, more concern for uh, sustainability, this would fit very easily into a model that uh, would be of interest to us. And then what happens, though, when you, know, you get to a point in life when you have a significant other, when you have a family, when you have a bigger home, when you have closet space, when you actually fall in love with some of the products and you may not want to give them up? So our hope is this is a point of uh, acquisition. It's a point of development of a new customer base, but ultimately it's a point of migration for people to really experience and fall in love with the Bloomingdale's brand. Have you dabbled in or, or what's your thought on the whole resale uh, market? We have uh, dabbled very uh, cautiously. We've done it with a couple of pop-ups with uh, what comes around goes around uh, really a couple of years ago. So, you know, modest uh, success, uh, not enough really to keep us in the business. wasn't good for either one of us or good enough for either one of us, I should say. Um, I cer certainly paying attention to the real real, certainly paying attention to uh, what uh, Neiman's has done with Fashion File. So we'll, we'll have to watch and uh, pay close attention to where does that model fit into the particularly uh, luxury space? So as we sort of come towards the end of our time together, the um, oftentimes there are young entrepreneurs who uh, are behind some of the hottest new brands that are coming out. Um, maybe they come out of Europe, maybe they're digital native brands, et cetera. If you, if you are talking to one of them right now, the CEOs or the founders or, or any CEO, frankly, who's uh, assessing Bloomingdale's or working with department stores, 
Um, I guess most of what we talked about uh, on this podcast would be um, quite good evidence that they should join you. Um, but are there two or three key things that you wish they would absolutely take away and, and remember uh, when assessing uh, working with you or, or with department stores? I think to the conversation that we've been having, uh, you're um, joining a partner that's been around for 148 years. You are joining a brand that has a uh, international reputation and naturally attracts uh, traffic without a lot of uh, um, additional incentives to draw that traffic uh, in. You are partnering with people who uh, understand the brand because they're committed to the relationship with the partners that we work with. And uh, we're not really that interested in just a one-time uh, buyer experience. Um, we have a flexibility in terms of our financial model. It can be as little as one item, could be as big as a collection, could be as simple as a pop-up, could be as complicated as a long-term concession. Um, th there is flexibility in how we approach the business. And we're really interested in the best ideas and the newest thinking and what is creative and innovative. Hopefully those people are thinking about Bloomingdale's first and wanting to come and capitalize on what we've built over a number of years. Tony, um, it's been strangely a little moving for me to have a conversation with you about Bloomingdale's uh, here. And uh, as you know, um, my time with Marvin was very special. And you know, maybe I can chalk myself up to feeling like I did an internship at Bloomingdale's once, <laughs> which of course I didn't, but uh, maybe by, by osmosis. The offer is still open. <laughs> Tony, thank you so much for doing the safari. My pleasure. Great to be here. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it.